Cindy Mancini and Ronald Miller live on the same street, but in totally different worlds. Cindy's hot, Ronald's not. But he's got a plan that could change all that. Now, the biggest social transformation in history is about to begin. He's going from totally geek to totally out of control. It's the comedy that proves $1,000 can buy popularity, but it can't buy me love. Welcome to Cover Your Eyes. Today we're talking about the movie Can't Buy Me Love, a romantic comedy from 1987. Hey, Holly. Hey, Sarah. When did you see Can't Buy Me Love? I must have seen it in probably 87 or 88. I mean, mm-hmm. I think I saw it pretty soon after it came out. <laughs> we watched this together. I'm sure we probably did. <laughs> Because that's when we met. It was like 87, 88. I think yeah. it would be right up our alley to watch this together. Well, and I had it on VHS. Oh, well then, yeah. yeah. I'm sure I saw it at your house then. <laughs> It's like this movie, my mom, she would be like, oh, you do you need a movie to watch? Why don't you watch Can't Buy Me Love? Because it is like a really great message of you have to be yourself and everybody who ends up being themselves at the end of the movie gets rewarded. Like coming into this movie, I felt like I really wanted to watch it because I knew it had it had things in it where I was like, I can't remember if that was like actually something gross. There might be something gross in it because the premise is that he's renting a girlfriend for a month. To get her out of a jam so she doesn't get in trouble. So there's like the added pressure of her being in trouble potentially. So she's like desperate. It's kind of like he's taking advantage of a girl who is kind of desperate because she made a mistake. So I thought it might be really uncomfortable and like awful looking back on it. It also wasn't one of those movies where anything was super inappropriate. You know, it's not like Fatal Attraction or Carrie. (laughs) (laughs) And I really, I really felt like watching this movie because the last we watched Carrie and then we watched Less Than Zero. And that's pretty heavy. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) we needed to lighten it up for a minute. (laughs) So (laughs) I think this is a good break to have. It was. This is a great movie. Um, I remember liking it, obviously. And like everyone knows. The basic premise of him helping her out because she takes her mom's white suede outfit that she's not supposed to take. And then some jerk at the party just spills red wine all over it. So the outfit costs $1,000. And she's basically like, oh my God, my mom's going to kill me. What am I going to do? And she goes to the store to try to return it when it's covered in red wine. It's like, that's how desperate she is. She's clearly not even thinking. He's like, I'm sorry, but our return policy <laughs> for, like prohibits me from taking a dress covered in wine. So she's willing to like do whatever it takes to get it replaced because she doesn't want to get in trouble from her mom. That stuff is not going to come out. So that's the main thing I remember. Yeah, is like he's a nerd. She's popular. She needs help. He has money. Boom, there you go. And he's dating her. Like you said, renting her. He actually says in the store, like, because he sees her, he's finally going to buy his telescope that he's been saving up for that costs a thousand dollars on sale at the moment that he's finally going to buy it. And yeah. he sees her 
Yeah. He's looking through the telescope and then he sees her across the mall. Of course. Trying to return this mind-stained <laughs> dress. And then he's like, oh, I've got an idea now. And mm-hmm. he decides he'd rather spend his money to rent this girl than to buy the telescope. It is kind of gross because it is kind of like he's taking advantage of her in a moment of desperation. But it doesn't turn out to be that bad, <laughs> as bad as you think it could be. It could have gone way worse. <laughs> He actually has really clear boundaries with her. He doesn't try to trick her into a romance at all. At the end of the month, even though she's sending clear signals to him that she's actually fallen for him. I know. wants to be with him. And he's being like really genuine and himself and really sweet. And I realized that he was formative in me dating somebody in college. Oh, really? <laughs> Ronald's character. Ronald <laughs> um, yeah, I realized that after, while I was watching this movie again, I was like, oh my gosh, this is totally why I was initially attracted to this one particular person. Like, and like even his mannerisms and the yeah. way he looks and like the way he dress. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, <laughs> on some <laughs> level, I, I saw him and was like, Oh, my own Ronald <laughs> Miller. <laughs> That's awesome. Who wouldn't want that? He's adorable. He is. He's so cute. And I like it that he is just not the typical like 80s heartthrob look at all. Like he totally goes against that. He's like small, kind of scrawny, has a big nose, big wild curly hair. And you like in the 80s movies, it's usually like jockey, like feathery blonde hair and things like that. So And of course, he's supposed to be the nerd. So I guess that goes well because he easily transforms from like nerdy looking to supposedly cool looking, which Mm -hmm. I think he's adorable as a nerd. I like him better that way. Okay. So here's here's my only problem that I have with Cindy, who's who's Ronald's love interest. My problem is that she takes a, a guy who has great style he, she basically turns Ronald into a coke dealer that is like an extra on Miami Vice. Exactly. Like that's how he's dressed. It's true. Yeah, that's the wardrobe that they were going for. Where before he looked like a low key poet who likes to garden, which I mean, come on. I mean, I, what high school girl wouldn't want that? <laughs> Yeah, I like his clothes because they were kind of like vintage looking. So Mm -hmm. before she made the transformation of him, they were like supposedly nerdy, but they're actually cool at the end of the movie or towards the end when he goes back to normal, like towards nerdy. He's wearing this like adorable outfit. It looks like it's like straight from Leave it to Beaver. It's so cute and cool. And I love it. And that stuff is still like in style now. Like Mm -hmm. that's just a classic look. Almost like Kramer on Seinfeld, but not, exactly. you know, like, I just, I, I love that look. And he had that going for him already. And I loved his wild curls. It looked way better than like moosed up, slicked back, oh. like you said, Coke dealer hair. <laughs> and then he also had those adorable like Buddy Holly glasses. He oh. was so cute. I'm a sucker for Buddy Holly glasses and Buddy yeah. Holly Buddy Holly has been extremely formative in my idea of a real man. (laughs) Really? Oh, boy. I remember 
watching La Bamba at your house and Buddy Holly in that movie. (laughs) (laughs) So sad that they died. It is super sad. I just wanted to get my favorite quote from the movie (laughs) out of the way right now. And it it comes later in the movie. Um, And it's one of the girls, Pats. I didn't really catch their names. I felt like in a way they were kind of like had an interchangeable personality, like on purpose. Like, I feel like in my fantasy world in the future when they go to college they end up going to college together and they realize that this whole time they've just been in love with one another and that's why they keep having sex with the same guys Ooh, yeah, because they actually just really couldn't accept the fact that they were in love with each other um so one of them though named pat she says to ronnie i love your hair it's so saturated. I know. <laughs> it was like that the brill cream from like the 50s. Yeah. Where if you leaned your head against the wall, there would be like a grease spot when you <laughs> come back up. Except it was probably hard because by that time, like gel, I think gel was really in in the 80s. Yes. So just definitely. making your hair as hard as possible where mm-hmm. maybe you could cut something. Yeah, I'm sure if he leaned back against the wall, his hair would, like, crunch, too, and leave an oil stain. I feel like I've seen that happen with boys before, like, in junior high. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I can hear your hair moving. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That was funny. I heard that, too. (laughs) And I think that um, the girl who plays Cindy, I feel like she was a good actress. I really liked her. And too. In my mind, I was thinking like, oh, she's like the rich, spoiled girl and she's just doing this for money to help herself. And I was expecting not to like her, like her to be like a typical 80s movie, spoiled, popular girl. But she was actually, yeah, she wasn't mean at all. Mm -mm. She was really nice. And you never saw like before it happened, you know that he's been like admiring her from afar and he's a nerd and all his friends are nerds and they never talked to the popular kids. But there was never anything where she like deliberately did anything mean to him or that her friends did either. They just didn't really acknowledge him. So at least we know that she wasn't like deliberately mean to him. He just wasn't really on her radar. Why would he be when she has all of the sports teams at her back and call? Cause she's the head cheerleader. Yes. So like the queen, they have, and they have their own little world. Now, is that true? Because I didn't, I like I didn't in high school like I wasn't in that world at all and actually whenever I saw I actually wrote down that I felt like the reason part of the reason that cheerleading turned me off so bad was because of this movie (laughs) the guys like it was like you're a cheerleader you you get to hang out with jocks and I'm like well the jocks are idiots like I want to hang out with the nerds like (laughs) those are the cool people to me yeah I feel like that's every 80s movie is like cheerleaders and jocks you know and the jocks are always just big dumb meatheads and the girls are there just to like cheer for them which obviously I guess that's what it really is for but (laughs) So, yeah, I was a cheerleader, but I was, like, I always call myself, like, the reluctant cheerleader because I was never, like, I was never, like, a jock groupie or anything like that. 
So um, when I think about it, I don't really know exactly why I did it. Like I started cheerleading in junior high and I was just like, well, let's try it. Um, It seems fun. And probably from growing up watching 80s movies, it's like, oh, cheerleading, that's what you should do. And I don't know. I liked to like dance and try to do gymnastics and things like that. And then once I started, it was like, okay, well, let's just keep doing it. Yeah. But for me, I never felt like... I'm cheerleader. I'm fucking cool. But <laughs> I feel like that still cheerleaders did have that like reputation of like, oh, the cheerleaders, they're cool or you know what I mean? But I never felt like I was part of that. I feel like I was always adjacent to different groups. Like I was never like really a skater girl, but I loved like skater boys and I was like adjacent to the skater group. I was like a cheerleader, but not really in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was kind of like cheerleader adjacent and I didn't have, I never felt like I was queen of the school. Let's just say that. I definitely never felt that. Um, I always felt like I was queen of the school. That's awesome. See, I missed out. I feel like these movies influenced me feeling like, oh, when you get to high school, like when you're a senior, then you're just like the shit. The world is, is your oyster. Sarah, I can't believe it. We're seniors now. This is going to be the best year of our life. I know. Like every know. movie in the 80s. Somebody totally. says that. It's true. And like, this is what everything's been building up to is senior year. It's got to be the best year of your life. Everything great has to happen to you. Everyone has to worship you at school, you know. And, um, yeah, I didn't feel that either, but I feel like when we went to school, it was like so close enough to the eighties. It wasn't the eighties, but I feel like it was so close enough to the eighties where some of that relic was still hanging around, at least in my mind, culturally of like, Ooh, seniors, Ooh, cheerleaders. And, but then once I was actually in it, I'm like, I don't feel this at all. And I'm like, are other people really feeling but this? No, this is just like this, uh, this illusion that we were, this dream we were promised. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about how the 80s are really like a throwback to the 50s. Because mm. like in the 50s, everything was very conforming and the media was all very like, everything's safe. No, I swear, buy these products. You'll be safe. <laughs> you'll be happy. Everything's exciting. Come on now, people. It, this uh-huh. is real, you know? Like, this is how we live now. These We're are the safe. safest cigarettes you can buy. <laughs> Nine out of ten doctors agree that if you have asthma, cigarettes are the way <laughs> to cure it. Mm-hmm. And then in the 80s, nine out of ten doctors agree. Snorting cocaine <laughs> cures all your problems. Um, yeah. No, but like, you know, then in the 80s, it was very, there was this pressure of like conformity. There was a exaggerated importance on material items bringing happiness. You become the person that you've decided you want to be based on the items that you purchase and display to other people that becomes your personality and that that's what i feel like this movie like whenever cindy takes ronnie to the mall and is like well we need to get you a new look and gets him all of these flashy clothes that are like the height of the 
late eighties. She's like, this is going to make you a different person. If you just have the right stuff, then you can fake it. And I just feel like the eighties had that same vibe of conformity for the most part. And so this movie really stood out to me because the Cindy realizes that she helped create a monster. And basically what happened was she taught him how to be popular and then he exaggerated it to such an effect that it made her realize that she didn't even care about being popular, which is a really great message, actually. (laughs) It was great. And she told him, you know, don't let this popularity thing, you know, control you. Don't change. Still be yourself. And then he's like, me change? Never. And then next thing you see, he comes in and like the full Coke dealer regalia with his hair slicked back and everything. And he totally changed. And then at one point she says to him, like, you know, this popularity thing isn't that great. You think it's great because you've never really had it, but it's not. And it's a lot of work. It's basically like a job. And then she says, you know, when I was wearing that suede outfit that got me into this whole situation, That was me trying to show off and impress people. Like, I'm still working at it. It's not just all easy and fun. And she just wakes up every morning feeling great. She's working at it. And she's not even really enjoying it either. Well, and she has to hang out with these guys that think it's hilarious to throw bags of dog shit at people's houses. I know. As part of a tradition. (laughs) It's our senior year. We've got to continue (laughs) four years of throwing dog shit. But I love that van, I have to say. So the big dumb jock, one of the biggest, dumbest ones, has this amazing van. It's like the big orange conversion van with like brown and orange carpet in the back. And that's what they're driving around in when they go terrorizing the neighborhood on Halloween. I bet his mom and dad gave him that. It was like theirs from the I bet he was conceived in that van in the back of it. Oh, my God. I was going to say. Oh, man. That's amazing. So Chucky is Ronald's little brother. He's probably like what, like 11 or 12? Yeah. And he's like really extremely nosy and precocious. (laughs) Yeah. And he's like, I know my brother Ronald is getting into some hijinks here. Something's fishy. And he's spying through the window at a party. One of the big lug, Jock guys comes up he's like got a fart and he leans it out the window and he farts on chucky then later in the movie he has to go fart again and he farts on through the car window into the station wagon that chucky's hiding in thereby farting on him once again I was wondering what you thought about that. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I'm sure when I was like eight or nine or whatever I was when I watched this, I thought it was funny. I just love the little brother. So (laughs) I feel like he's a little shit. So it's kind of like appropriate that he gets farted on his face. I thought it was, I thought it was actually really hilarious because the, the big lug, jock guy didn't know 
he was doing that because he didn't right. know he was he didn't know Chucky was there. So it wasn't malicious at it all. It was just an accident. <laughs> yes. Lighthearted humor. Yeah. Then it was funny when he did that and he, Chucky was in the station wagon and then you see Chucky just like rolling out of the station wagon like air and eat air. <laughs> I love this character. I feel like in so many of these movies, the person, like the main character has like a shit starter little brother. And I love that. They're usually like my favorite character or just like <laughs> little jerk little brothers who are usually cooler and more popular than like the main character. I'm thinking of like Better Off Dead and just yeah. some other movies are coming to mind where it's like the the little and like 16 Candles, her little brother's like a little smart ass and stuff too. And I just think they're so funny. <laughs> One of the things I liked was when they had like a small locker room scene with the girls, all the girls were wearing at least bras and underwear. They weren't yes. naked. They weren't like frolicking around like morons like usual. They weren't like in the shower. Yeah, they weren't in the shower, like, sensuously rubbing their own breasts, you know, in front of other girls. So it gets points for that. <clears throat> oh, we're budding women. We love <laughs> nothing more than to shower together and rub soap all over our bodies. <laughs> we smell like love's baby soft. <laughs> love's baby soft. Ew, that's gross. That brings up, have you seen those ads? Oh, yes. Oh, God. I've seen those ads. Loves baby soft ads are like a grown woman, yeah. basically dressed in like a little pink baby doll nightgown kind of thing, yeah. looking like a baby. Even, fucking... in even innocence can be sexy. Ew, is that what it <laughs> I think so. Oh, <laughs> it's so disturbing. Yeah, you know, they're all wearing that. You know, there were a lot of people, though, on Speed and Quaaludes in the 70s and 80s. That were making those ads? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Mad Men, but 70s, 80s versions. So they were just, like, doing coke all the time instead of drinking scotch all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <It shows>. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, so, so Cindy's friends, I don't even remember their names because it's one like of them kind of why. One of them was called Pats. Pats? Yeah. But we could just say Cindy's friends because like they're two girls. They basically they act alike and they talk alike. Yeah. And they like the same guys <laughs> and they have they make out and I think they were having sex. With each other? No, with a guy with oh. Randy. Who's Randy? <laughs> Ronald. Are <laughs> <laughs> we watching the same movie? <laughs> That's funny. I blame it on being in a closet. <laughs> mm -hmm. You're thrown off. I um, feel like Cindy looked adorable, like 80s teenage girl. She looks so young and especially like on the VHS cover, she looks like 12, like a baby. And then her friends look like middle-aged, like secretaries from New Jersey or something. It's like, they do not look like high school seniors. Especially the one, the one that has like, that showed him her boobs in the car. Yes. Whichever one she is. Yeah. And yeah, they basically are just like latching on to Cindy and they only want Ronald after she breaks up with them. 
And then, yeah, they both want him and they're like, we'll share him. So whichever one is not Patsy, I don't know. Friend one is goes into the bathroom while she's on a date with Ronald. And then friend two is like, you're taking me to the Columbus Day dance. And he's like, I thought you were best friends with friend one. And she's like, friend share. <laughs> it's like, okay. I have never been that way with any of my friends. Have you? Uh, no, I haven't. In fact, it's usually been like, don't date your friend's exes. Yeah. But this is different because they don't want a relationship with him. They want to have sex with him. So it's two women that are having like sexual agency, though. And they're not getting... I mean, I didn't feel like there was a lot of slut shaming. I think there was like, there was like a teeny bit, but it was more teasing. There are girls that are like, hell yeah, I'm a slut. You got a problem with that? (laughs) Which I certainly appreciate. So I felt kind of grossed out, but that was, I think part of it just too had to do with the fact that they look older than Ronald and that kind of makes me uncomfortable in movies, even though they're like supposed to be playing the same age. I thought that that was really interesting. Um, that dynamic of like, we're going to share because they sort of get into a little bit of a tiff about it, but it's really playful. Um, and that could have been an opportunity to pit women against each other that wasn't taken. So I appreciated that. Me too. Cause that could have been a whole subplot of, Oh, well now Ronald's gone and like broken up everybody's friendships. Yeah, they stayed friends, so that's good. Friends in quotations, however good of friends they really were at that time, yeah. like to Cindy. But, oh, I think the only thing that was kind of gross about it was that they only wanted to sleep with him because he was, like, super popular at the time. Like, he was a hot commodity, you know? Oh, totally. They wanted to ride the Ronster train or whatever he calls himself. <laughs> Okay, so Ronald's transformation is so over the top, absurd. Like, he turns into the complete flashy jerk. And I think it's really funny because whenever you first see him, he's really smart, he's really responsible, and he's been saving up money for a telescope. He's a, he's a good kid, right? He's a dream for a parent. He wants to be one of the cool kids, but he's not good at sports because he's he's still pretty thin and scrawny or whatever and doesn't look like a 30-year-old like the jocks do in this movie. <laughs> it's really him saying, like, I'm not good enough as I am. I have to put on all of these clothes that are new And I have to wear these flashy sunglasses and I have to have the right objects, including the girl, the popular girl that I'm renting. So really, I feel like this is another movie that is like an indictment of 80s consumerism. It's just from a different angle than Less Than Zero. Like Less Than Zero is like specific to like Hollywood messages and this is like specific to capitalism and mall 
mall culture and yeah. consumerism as a way of telling others who you are, you are taking the objects that you buy and you're making those objects your identity. And that changes based on what the media is telling you is cool or what the people at your school are telling you is cool. And so you're never having your own identity. Yeah, I feel like mall culture was a huge part of <clears throat> all of the movies that we watched growing up. And like you said, that's just a way of like getting kids ready to be consumers or like baby consumers. Because when you're a teenager, you go to the mall and you buy stuff and that's where you see everyone and that's where you hang out. And having the right clothes and having the right brands, all that was definitely important. Like I first remember being conscious of that probably around like sixth grade. I'm not sure exactly when it started, but like the things I remember first really feeling like I need to have this are um, like in a spree purse mm. and Liz Claiborne purses. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like it was, I think purses were like the main thing. And then also with shoes, like I got to a point where I was like, mom, I can't just have these Kmart generic shoes. Like I've got to have nikes or pumas or whatever you know those were like the first things i really remember being like i've got to have these brands oh and then later like in junior high you had to have like guess and forenza (laughs) (laughs) and shop at like the limited and it had to be like certain stores so i think probably like sixth grade maybe is when that started for me what about you what do you remember feeling like you needed to have and when do you remember it starting I always had this desire to stand out and have things that were very different than everyone else. So I think that helped me not have as much label. Uh, not I, It helped me uh, not be as easily swayed by like trends of what labels you needed to have because I've always been sort of like a contrarian kind of naturally. Now, that's not to say that I didn't have things that I was like, I need to have these things. It was just, they were very different, maybe. I did want a Liz Claiborne purse, but I got a polka dot Liz Claiborne purse, which I wish I still had. Do you remember that purse? Is it like black and white polka dots? Yes. It was like cream, though. It wasn't black. It wasn't white. It was like cream and black. Yeah. I wish I still had that purse. I wish you did, too. (laughs) It would but be like, so cute still. <laughs> God, we wanted those purses so bad. Yeah. Once you said that you had that, I'm like yeah. seeing it in my mind and yeah. feeling oh, that urge all over again. I'm like yeah. how strongly I wanted it. That was so cute. Yeah, I liked yours. Yeah. And so, but you know, so even though I did have a Liz Claiborne purse, it had to be different than the ones that were that all the other people at school had. And like I didn't want to shop at our little clothing shop boutique in town. Because everybody had that stuff. So I wasn't into guess. I was into having Calvin Klein jeans or Gap jeans. But I didn't ever have any wear labels. I think maybe in in junior high or not junior high. I think in like fifth grade. I think Nana had like, I think I had some like guest shirts or or like sweatshirts. But then by the time I got into junior high, I was pretty much like, I don't think I want to do like labels. I want things to be different. Doc Martens, I definitely needed. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> which I still have them to this day. Awesome. Um, I still wear them. Uh, I've never stopped wearing them since I was 14. <laughs> that was a good ass investment. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And then, um, yeah, I feel like I got really quickly into vintage, like by mm-hmm. high school. And in junior high, I was definitely wanted Esprit and United Colors of Benetton. Yes. Yeah. Those were the two where I was like, okay, this is... And it was because I was actually looking at some ads for Esprit and United Colors of Bennington because this movie brought up a lot of um, memories of being at the mall and being and, and thinking, like, if I had that object then like this dream would come true and I would be this other person. And I remember like, I thought I'm sure that like, if I told my 10, 11, 12 year old self that, you know, I would laugh at me and be like, no, I want it because it's like cool. But the real reason I wanted it looking back, like on those ads is because the people in the Esprit ads and in the United Colors of Benetton ads were very relaxed and they were like comfortable in their own skin and I felt like those two companies really promoted that as a way of being which was was very different than most of what you were being offered in the 80s like Guess and Ferrucci and like what's the other one that you were just mentioned? Um, Ferenza and like Z Cavaricci. Oh, Z Cavaricci, that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, <laughs> and like those are more. Those are very like bisexual. <laughs> you know, that's why like, I like them. Yeah, and and <laughs> Esprit. <laughs> Esprit and United Colors of Benetton were like, were like, we're just like having fun, hanging out, being friends. And everything's very like clean and crisp. You know, these people don't live in a steel mill town. (laughs) (laughs) That's the real reason you wanted it. (laughs) Yeah. The feelings are so strong and the urge is definitely real at that age of like, yeah, you think I need this to make me complete or to make me different or to make me better. You just really equate these items and this image with changing your image, but it doesn't work that way. But it's like, you feel like you do need it, even if it's not going to, you know, elevate your life to the status that you expect it to. It's like you feel like you need it just to not get made fun of or to get excluded. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, I at least need this to just blend in. Yeah. That was the feeling that I had a lot. Oh, I did too. Like in junior high, I really felt that way very strongly about the gap. Yeah. I remember shopping a lot at the gap with you for sure. Because their clothes were very neutral. And like when I was in junior high, I really felt like I didn't want to be noticed very much (laughs) which was completely the opposite by by high school (laughs) but I felt like the more invisible you are in junior high the safer you are in junior high Cindy's mom is dating a guy that comes up to the door Mm. and Cindy answers the door and uh he's like completely being really gross and leering at her 
and he's like probably 50. He is making these innuendos that are like blatant. You could barely call them innuendos. And then her mom has her mom completely doesn't notice it. And then is just like, oh, you're so funny. Isn't he a blast or whatever? And then they leave. And I'm like, so this is how Cindy's mom has treated their whole life, I guess, is like dating really gross guys and her not understanding that the guy that she's dating is like lusting after her teenage daughter. It was really weird. And it made me feel like we were supposed to think that like her mom, that like Cindy's definitely the parent in the relationship and that it immediately gave Cindy more depth as a character because all of a sudden you're like, well, she's probably more down to earth because she's actually had to deal with her mom being like, a party animal who brings home guys that she's not being protected from. So I thought that was an interesting choice that they made. Yeah, that scene was short, but it was pretty powerful. And it did give you like a glimpse into Cindy's life. It was very gross, just ogling her, like you said. And he says like, oh, good looks run in this family and they run fast or something like that. Yeah, that's what he said. That's what he said. (laughs) She's so like, gross. okay, mom, uh-huh. come to the door and rescue me from this creep. And then, yeah, so she, then the, her mom's like, oh, I've seen you met my little baby. And mm-hmm. he's like, oh, I thought it was your sister. And then the mom's like, oh, like you said, like, it's just so funny. And it's like, she's completely missing or just like, blatantly ignoring his disgusting innuendos and like, obviously the sexual undercurrent of what he's saying about her daughter and yeah it made me feel sad for cindy and then when they're leaving her mom's like isn't he a hunk and cindy's like yeah good word mom like a hunk of shit because he's a total asshole (laughs) (laughs) it's terrible and it's like so you see it's like cindy's mom's probably been single for a long time maybe like all the other movies like the dad had an affair and left them and then she and her mom are more like friends than mother daughter like you they said share. So Cindy's yeah sharing wardrobe and just kind of like Cindy kind of does her own thing and she is kind of like a parent to her mom it seems like and so yeah you see it made me feel bad for Cindy and it made me think of like certain people I know who have been kind of in that situation mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. where their mom is like oh I'm I'm your friend and like I'm just always out partying and then the girls kind of they're left on her own to fend for herself and then also that's just kind of the relationships that she sees and seeing her mom being treated like disrespected um and just going along with it because it's almost like well I'm a little bit older now and I have a kid so I just have to kind of put up with whatever guy will take me that's kind of the vibe that I got from that definitely and that's depressing and not true. Well, that was especially a thing that women I'm I'm used goods cuz I already have a kid. <laughs> no no man's going to want me with this with this child. It's not even he's not even the father. I felt like Cindy wore the suede outfit 
that's the catalyst for the whole plot of this movie. I feel like she wore that as like a fuck you to her mom because she does that right. She, she puts it on right after her mom leaves with this jackass guy, Mm. you know, and she's acting completely oblivious and it's like, once again, her mom hasn't protected her from some jerk that she's brought home that's like potentially dating her mom so he could have access to a teenager. Like, there are people that do stuff like that. And this guy Definitely. is clearly somebody who would be completely open to it. So I feel like there were a few really nice moments in the movie. And one of them was. After he had rented her and they've been hanging out, they have like a strict contract that she says, you know, like no kissing, no holding hands and all of that stuff, which he's fine with because he's not trying to rent her for sex just to like get his status going. But then they do start hanging out like a little bit more than what the contract was calling for. And you can see that they're actually she's starting to like him and she wants to hang out with him, it seems like. And he's washing her car. They just start talking and she basically says like. I don't really do anything but shop and hang out. And he was like, you do cheerleading. That's a sport and you're great at it. And she was like, I don't really do anything else. And he's like, you can do anything you want. I believe in you. And it's really cute. Cause then she feels like it's like, no one's ever taken that interest in her before or like encouraged her. And it makes it seem like she feels like she has to just be this cheerleader image and nothing deeper. And so then she goes inside and gets the poetry that she had written and she feels like comfortable enough to share it with him. And he's like, thank you for trusting me with this. And he reads it and he thinks it's beautiful and it's just so nice. And then he recites it to. Oh yeah. Iris, the same poem to Iris, whenever he's having sex with her. On a toilet. On a toilet in the bathroom at a party. Yeah, so they do a really good job of taking things and like really highly contrasting these moments. So you see it's like a really tender moment between him and Cindy when they're sharing the poetry and like genuine feelings are developing. And then later after he's already become like a popular party monster and he and Cindy are pretty much kind of separated because she doesn't like what he's become and how he's treating her. And then she's Um, Also feeling really bad because her college boyfriend who basically left her. So he's like a big football star and she thinks they're still together, but not really. And he never calls her and he never comes home. And so she's realizing like, oh, I guess he's dumped me too. So she's just feeling really bad at this party and you see her get drunk, which you don't really see her do that any other time. And so she's like drowning her sorrows in vodka. And then she sees Ronald on the toilet (laughs) with Iris, who's like you said, there's really no slut shaming in the movie, but she's the one who they would say has slept with the most people. And so she's about to sleep with him. The the way they the way they said it about her though was kind of like with admiration, I felt like (laughs) like she's had more rides than the Greyhound bus. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She likes it. That's her thing. Yeah. Then when she peeks in he she sees him reciting this poem that she wrote and was like vulnerable enough to share with him and he's reciting it to this girl to try to get laid so then she's like then she really knows that he's completely changed and he's been warped by his popularity and it really hurts her 
He um, needs to be taken down. He does. And so she does. That happens <laughs> soon after he is taken down. Yeah, because at that party, then her boyfriend, Bobby, the wonderful, amazing Bobby, who's a college freshman now, shows up at the New Year's Eve party. So he comes in and he's expecting to be like the king of the room because I'm in college now and I'm like a freshman football player and everyone's going to admire me and be happy that I showed up. So he didn't even call or tell anyone he's coming. He's just like, oh, it's New Year's Eve. I'm here. And Cindy's supposed to just fall all over him, I guess. That's what he's expecting, even though he's ignored her for like six months and he sees Ronald, which he doesn't even really realize who Ronald is because he looks so different now and he just knew him as like the big nerd before. Then Bobby is like, you can't be the king of the school or a legend until you get the head cheerleader. And so he finds out that Cindy and Ronald have been together and he gets irate because he can't believe that someone who he's been with would be with someone who is a former nerd. And she doesn't have the right to do that because it like damages his reputation is how he's acting. Cindy goes and finds her, like grabs her by the arm and drags her into another room and starts yelling at her. He hasn't even seen her in like six months and they were dating. And then this is how he reintroduces himself to her (laughs) is basically just like, chastising her and then he's like what are you dating him where he's a nerd and he he mows lawns and he only makes like 35 cents an hour this movie also has a lot to do with class like class is a part of it in status oh well you shouldn't date him because his family's not rich and he works for a living you know like it's a bad thing <laughs> like it counts against him during that fight then it comes out she's trying to defend herself against bobby and tell her like why she dated the quote-unquote nerd and she's like he paid me and then bobby's like well then that makes you a prostitute Mm -hmm. in front of everyone at the party like this huge party so she just gets like humiliated in front of everyone and then she turns and sees ronald like just chilling out having fun acting like a dick and she's like all right it's time you're going down (laughs) and then she gives him the speech whenever she gets called a prostitute that that really pissed me off yeah like i was like this guy these jocks are so gross and entitled and even though at the end of the movie the jocks like see the light of and they see the error of their ways and they realize that like if everybody was just allowed to be themselves then like we could all have a good time and no one would have pressure. <laughs> what a novel and, idea. <laughs> instead of everyone having pressure to not be themselves and to never achieve any level of happiness or success because <laughs> they're not buying the right shit yet. But this next purchase, damn it, it's going to be the one that does the trick. All of these jocks, they have this I'm entitled to these women. So it's like, I'm entitled to the cheerleaders. I don't, this is a problem though, too, that I have with this kind of movie is that she's able to stand up and say, this was all fake and you're being fake. And I know this isn't who you are. And in fact, she's really saying like, I know that this isn't who any of you are. Yeah. Like, just because Ronald's doing this, like, you guys think you're exempt from it. Like, you're all doing it. 
we're all doing this. We are all faking it. And we're playing a game where we keep imposing rules on each other, but they're completely arbitrary. So is Ronald really the guy that he was initially? Or is he kind of this other guy too? Like, I would not, I don't know if I could trust him again. And I don't know how great it is to have the message that like, you can trust people like this, that you could have a person that's going to be completely different, have a completely different personality all of a sudden, and then sustain that. And then just suddenly go back to the other way. That kind of freaked me out, even though like in the moment of it, I was like happy because I was assuming that, you know, Ronald wasn't really like that. And ultimately, I think that he is the guy that we see at the beginning of the movie before he makes his popularity transformation to king of the school. That's not his real personality. And you can see him through the movie, like struggling with being this new person and like wanting to actually just express who he is. I guess too, though, the thing that really got me was when Kenneth Ronald's friend, Kenneth, every Halloween, he has ended up with eggs all over his house and a bag of shit thrown at his door every Halloween for the past three years. This is going to be the fourth year because it's senior year. God damn it. And it's going to be the best year ever. The lughead jocks, one of whom is Rico Suave. Did you know that? <laughs> that was really him? Yeah. Oh, my God. I thought he looked familiar. Yeah. What, Did you look that up? Gerardo? Yeah, I saw him and oh. I was like, is that Rico Suave? And I couldn't remember his real name because I just oh, always know him as Rico God. Suave. Wow. Yeah, I, I actually paused the movie to look it up because I was like, this is going to drive me nuts if I don't know <laughs> for sure. That's amazing. Yeah. I knew I recognized him, but I thought he was on like Head of the Class or something like one of those shows. With him, I noticed like at least I'm not I think he's from Mexico, but I'm not sure. That's unusual for an 80s movie. I mean, that's unusual for I mean, Hispanic people are like super underrepresented in media compared to the population, you know? Um, so I thought that was interesting. So they go to Kenneth's house, the Rico Suave, the blonde lughead, and Ronald. They go to Kenneth's house, and they task Ronald with the job of throwing the shit bag. You know, of course they would. This is like, this is like the ultimate test of, are you going to pick who you really are, or are you going to be the person that just follows along and does horrible shit and then later makes the excuse that my friends made me do it. At first he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. I refuse. And then the one guy's like, oh, still a nerd, huh? So then he does it. And it's like, well, that was easy. Pretty weak character, Ronald. I actually felt like very sad at that part because that year, because like you said, they've been doing it every year. So the dad and Kenneth, who was his friend from like childhood way back, who they spent all the time together before. And Ronald just been ignoring him since he got popular. Ken, Kenneth and his dad and his little brother are all in the front yard, like ready to catch these guys this year. And Kenneth has the net set up to catch whoever is doing it. 
And so Ronald goes up and throws the bag of shit. It splatters all over the door. And then Kenneth catches him in the net and he's like, oh, I got you. Ronald is trying to escape and he turns around and Kenneth sees that it's him who had thrown the shit on his door. And his face, he looks so hurt. It's so sad. And, he, and then Ronald doesn't even say anything. He just runs away and gets in the van with the popular kids. And it was so it's sad. So I I I think I'm just like super emotional today, but I got like teary eyed because I got teary too. I'm getting teary eyed now thinking it's about sad. it. It's sad. It's so like, sad. I mean, the can you imagine? That would be like if you threw a bag of shit at my door when we were in high school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, think I was thinking about the equivalent of it. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> like what the fuck? <laughs> Sorry, they made me do it. I'm so disappointed. This isn't even a good prank. (laughs) Yeah, it it would be good if you lit the bag on fire and made them stomp it out. Like, that's good. Just throwing it is weak. (laughs) Yeah, that would have been acceptable. Okay, so did you know that Paula Abdul did the choreography for yes. this movie? Did you see that? On the... I saw that in the beginning. I wrote that I as one of my like sidebars. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I didn't remember this movie as having like any dancing in it. Mm-hmm. But then they went to the dance, the school dance, and Ronnie has to dance, and he's like, shit, I don't know how to dance. So he decides he's going to watch like American Bandstand and like learn the dance that they have at the end of the show or whatever. (laughs) But instead, his little brother, Chucky, probably on purpose, (laughs) um, it turns it on to the African cultural hour. And he learns to do a dance. The African anteater dance. What country in Africa? I always think that whenever I hear anything that's like African, I'm like, where in Africa exactly are you talking about? But also, but that's aside the point, like, because that's people in the 80s, I don't think had any even, you know, what I was um, thinking about was how, so he takes, so he learns this African anteater dance and then Ronald goes to the school dance where it's mostly white people and he starts doing this dance and it is completely out of rhythm. He doesn't pay any attention to that. He's like just focused on getting these movements right. And then everybody at first is like, wait a second. And then they're like, oh, this is the cool guy now. So they all start doing the dance too. And I thought, well, of course, because it made me think of like Elvis Presley, exactly. like taking, like taking, you know, black people's music and then making it popular, making it acceptable consumption for white America in the fifties. So another parallel to the fifties. <laughs> and it was funny oh, yeah. because all of the kids are just like following along with them. And then his, quote unquote nerd friends are all sitting on the sidelines because the jocks wouldn't let them come out onto the floor to start mingling and then yeah. they see him doing it and they all point and they're like the African anteater dance they all know what it is so they realize how ridiculous it actually is <laughs> that he's doing it at a high school dance where it just doesn't fit in yeah and that he has no idea so yeah you have to talk about the dancing I think that's one of the like main main scenes of the movie 
and it really does a good job of showing just, yeah, these kids are mindlessly following whoever is supposed to be the popular one. Um, and then what else? Did you feel, okay, so did you feel, since you were more on the inside, I know you, you still <laughs> felt like you were on the outside, but like I had hardly any interaction with jocks or cheerleaders like outside of classrooms i'm just thinking of like being on a bus like on the way to an away game or something and people just being like singing the school song or like chanting or just doing shit like that and i'm just like oh god what am i doing on this bus you know what i mean <laughs> like i don't belong here even though i guess that's like my job as a cheerleader is to just like chant things that other people are chanting <laughs> it feels very gross inside of me I'm not that kind of person and like if I go to a concert or any kind of meeting where they're like everyone stand up and say this or do whatever yeah. I'm just like no no no, no. I want to run into a corner and not participate in any of that mm-hmm. so that's another thing that made it so weird of me being a <laughs> but yeah I always just felt like I guess I was just like I'm just here to do my job people <laughs> <laughs> What? are these people and i'm not into this what were they doing what went wrong well okay this is actually my fault but um one time we were going to have like our cheerleading christmas dinner and we were going to olive garden nice (laughs) because why not i my parents had a minivan And I had never, like, driven it out of town, and I didn't drive on the highway. And I think they specifically told Mm. me, like, don't take this anywhere out of town. Mm -hmm. But, like, if you bring a minivan to something where people are all going to be carpooling, they're going to want to get in your minivan. So, of course, I felt, like, pressured to Uh. drive. So, I drove, and then um, it was around Christmas time, obviously. So, by the mall. You know that, like, main strip by the mall? Oh, Jesus. It was so crowded, just, like, deadlocked. And um, I think my window started fogging up or something. And it was just like dead traffic where you just like roll along, roll along. And I like went to look down at the defrost or something. And then I rolled into the back of a car, like a low car. And uh-huh. then a bumper went up on top of my oh. bumper. And I was just like, oh, God. And oh, I was, no. It was the worst. I was just like, I'm not even supposed to be driving this car. And now I'm in an accident. And I'm going to have to tell my parents. This is like Cindy's outfit. Oh my god! Fiasco. It's true. <laughs> it's I was trying situation. to be like the cool one driving, and then all hell broke loose. Months later, and like insurance settlements later. Um, uh, yeah. Oh god, I was scared coming home that night. Uh, oh, that wasn't you? fun. I was like sixteen, I guess. Oh no. Oh my god! And then another time where I was like with these people I just don't belong with these people okay and like the universe is trying to tell me this I was fucking driving the minivan again (laughs) and there was like it was Halloween so always around a holiday so um it was there's supposed to be like this place where there's railroad tracks where like they're haunted railroad tracks (laughs) you put like Mm. flour on your bumper And you go to the railroad tracks and you like stop and you'll feel something like pulling you back. And then you look on your bumper and there'll be Mm -hmm. like fingerprints in the flower. (laughs) We were going to do that. And so I got roped into driving because I had the biggest mode of transportation. We go pick up all these people, like just these people that I would not normally hang out with, like multiple dudes. 
that I would not normally be hanging out with. And um, they're in the back of the car and I didn't realize it, but one of them had brought like a 12 pack of beer into the car. And I was always like very, I did not drink in high school. I was like, me either. Yeah. Yeah. And I would definitely never do something like this. So I didn't know they were even doing that. And then um, at one point when we were getting close to the spot, so it's out like in cornfields and everything. And those one guy's like, I have to pee. Can you pull over? So I pull over for him to pee. And which, you know, I'm like, okay, no one's around, whatever. But apparently when he did that, he also had like beer with him and he threw a beer can down. And um, he gets back in the car and I start to pull away and police lights come on. And I was like, <gasps> what the fuck? I thought we were out in the cornfield in the middle of nowhere. And so the next thing you know, there's a cop at my window and he makes everyone get out. And he sees the beer and we were in this cornfield for hours. He called everyone's parents, like processed everyone. And one kid had his little brother with him who was only like 12 or 13. Oh my God. I know. And so by this point, it takes so long. And uh, it was after 11 by the time they were done, which I think curfew was 10 or 11. Oh God. So he's like, um... All right, it's now you're out after curfew too, so you can't drive home. So he made someone else drive home who had like been drinking. <laughs> it's like, okay, nice. sure, whatever. I obviously <laughs> wasn't drinking because I didn't even know there was booze in the car and I would never drink and drive. Mm-hmm. Um, great thing was he didn't call my parents. I think really? he like sensed that I was yeah. roped into this. And so my parents never knew. And oh, I spent gosh. the night like at a, another girl's house oh, that night. And her mom knew, but her mom was really cool. She was like the cool mom. Oh, right. <laughs> and uh, so my parents never found out as far as I know. Mm-hmm. But, so wow. I got a ticket for illegal transportation of alcohol. Mm-hmm. And somehow, I guess I just made everyone give me money and I paid it. And honestly, how did my parents not know? Like, wouldn't that go on your insurance? I have no I don't idea. Know. But I never got in trouble for it. That's so, good. Yeah. When you okay, were telling this- that story, I was like, oh, my gosh. How did she ever leave the house again? <laughs> I know. It's like, that's why I didn't do bad things. Because anytime I try to do anything, even, like, remotely controversial, it, like, fucking backfired. <laughs> but, yeah. So, I I was just, like, not meant to be gosh. in that crowd at all. Yeah. And I'm glad that I wasn't. Yeah. I probably would have ended up with like teen pregnancy and like in rehab or something if I really got fully immersed in it. But I think the universe was protecting me. <laughs> I your, was guardian it, like, angel, your guardian <laughs> angel is like constantly on speed <laughs> dial to the police. I know. It's true. Yeah. So those are my experiences, my brushes with um the popular crowd. Damn. They weren't great. You know what? That sounds exactly like what I figured it would be like to hang out with those people. They all seemed kind of like they weren't very good at sneaking around. (laughs) So I tried to pick the kids that looked good at sneaking around to hang out with to do my rebellious deeds. So Good job. And as long as you keep your grades good, nobody notices. Seriously, that's the main thing. That's yeah. another thing that happened to Ronald is his grades went down when he got yes. into this crowd too. You gotta get into college, gotta get good grades. You don't want you don't want that on your permanent record. I'm sorry, can I just tell you one more story? Oh, I love it. Please, please do. 
since I had that um, illegal transportation of alcohol from driving those people around with them drinking <laughs> in the back of the car that I didn't know about, um, I also was a dare officer or not a dare officer. I was a dare representative. <laughs> <laughs> and oh my so, God. I know. Um, but as one of the perks of being a dare representative, we got to like go to the police station with him after one of our appearances or whatever. And he was like, oh, uh, I think there were like five of us. And so Officer Dare is like, hey, why don't I look you guys up in the system? Like just joking around. And I was like, my heart was pounding so hard because I was like, he's going to see I have illegal transportation of alcohol on my record i'm a dare representative <laughs> oh god that was a scary ass moment but he pulled out my name and it didn't show up thank god oh no i just have to tell you like one more quick element of the story yeah, it doesn't yeah. have to do with the movie or anything but mm-hmm. um so while we were there he took us to also see like the evidence room so he's bringing high schoolers into the evidence room which is probably like you shouldn't be doing that and um did he give you bumps of coke no but i saw like drugs i saw like bags of drugs and one of the things i saw was like polaroid pictures of a murder suicide what i saw that no why did i see that awful i know he this guy had like shot his girlfriend and then like blew his own head off with like a shotgun and I saw pictures. And the pictures were just hanging out. In the they were like on room. a shelf. And I think that he showed so them to weird. us. Because I don't know. I don't think I would have just grabbed pictures off a shelf and no. gone through them myself. I think he like showed them to us. Probably. Not kidding. <laughs> I believe you. you. Oh, that was quite the, quite the day at the police station. Wow. Yeah. How so I have that memory. I was like, I don't know. Well, I had already had been driving, so I was yeah. 16, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I was um, definitely smoking weed at 16. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You're so badass. <laughs> smoking weed and getting straight A's. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> As long as you've got the A's. <laughs> yeah, nobody notices. Good for you. You yeah. managed to have it all. I did. I had it all. <laughs> I had the boys. I had the clothes. I had the drugs. And I had the grades. You were winning at life <laughs> in high school. I think, oh, I did want to mention the fat girl. So after Ronnie gets ostracized by everybody because everybody finds out that he paid his way into the popular crowd, um, nobody will have lunch with him. Everybody's just completely a jerk to him. And this one girl comes up to him and she's very tall and she's like really probably like what would be considered an average size now but back in the 80s she was definitely would have been she's supposedly the fat girl mm-hmm. and she says to Ronnie you could have had me for 49.95 <laughs> 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 
Yes. <laughs> that was a powerful moment. So I'm like insulting yourself more than you're insulting Ronnie. Like, aren't you actually, I felt like that was just like a random, let's swat at the fat girls moment. So I would say it was like the weakest part of the movie. I agree. They almost made it through without having any kind of fat jokes, which is amazing for an 80s movie. But then, yeah, they had to throw something in right there at the end. And again, she's pretty much just like average size. Also just insulting herself. Yeah, they could have done without that. It was like, look at the fat girl. She can't even make a joke, right? Like, she's so <laughs> pathetic that her that her joke insulting somebody else is just insulting herself. Like, don't get fat. Like, like all the movies were like that. I think I'm really sensitive to the fat girl tropes in 80s movies because I identified myself as a fat girl. Mm-hmm. Um, basically until like three years ago even though i'm really small that's yeah i'm five six and i weigh 135 pounds and i also fit into a dress that i've had since i was 14 years old oh my god but but for most of my life i've considered myself fat why do you think that happened well a lot of it has to do with like being raised around people who had binge eating issues and who had or who are fat and who also had a lot of uh hatred towards fat and fat people and who would like actually make fun of fat women oh no being mean to other fat women because they were fat growing up around that and just being like oh well apparently if you're overweight in any way then that means that you're gonna have a horrible life and everything's gonna suck and no one's gonna love you so you better not do that, and but you can't get comfortable in your body because then you'll get weak, and then you'll eat more, and then you'll get fat. So don't ever get comfortable. If you always think you're fat, then you'll never get fat because you'll always be on guard. Huh. Man, that must have been hard to grow up like that with that in your mind all the time. Well, and then also Nana would put me on diets. Oh, no. When I was like 10, she started oh putting God. me on diets. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. It's been enough time of feeling that way and of feeling like you have to constantly monitor your eating habits. The fat girl joke. There's a yeah. fat girl, quote unquote, walking up to this guy saying, hey, I'm fat. I'm not worth as much as the popular cheerleader. You could have got a deal. Yeah, she literally just... put a price on it. Yeah, that was the lowest moment of the movie, I'd say. They could have definitely done without that. Oh, my God. So, okay, so the end of the movie, Kenneth is getting picked on by the jocks. And Ronnie has accepted his fate as the ultimate outcast at school. <laughs> um, he's gone back. He's gone back to being himself. He's sitting there eating lunch and he overhears Kenneth getting threatened and he saves him and he makes a speech and he's like, why can't we all just get along? And then he talks about the time that the one jock used to hang out with all of the nerds, but now he's a cool jock and how he cried because he got his arm broken and but now you won't even talk to us and and then everybody claps and uh the lughead 
Jack, the blonde lughead, Jack, he's the first guy to clap, you know? He's had an epiphany. And everybody's a little bit more mature for this experience. I felt like even the Jacks in this movie had a little bit more personality and, like, actual character and dimension than, say, the Jocks in Revenge of the Nerds, who were basically just, like, robots. Yeah, it was nice. I love the yeah. ending. And then Cindy and Ronnie run off into the sunset together. Oh, my gosh. So he's mowing her lawn at the end, and then she comes out and gives him money to pay him for mowing the lawn. <laughs> and uh, then they're almost starting to talk and be, like, normal, and he's kind of apologizing, like, I wish that we could just get back to, like, the real me and the real you and just work it out she was like kind of opening up to the idea and then her friends come and she's like i've got to go and you can see she's like kind of reluctant to go back with them and just get back in the convertible and drive off to the mall or wherever they go like normal and then he just goes back to mowing the lawn and then you see that the car turns around and she's like ronald and she gets out of the convertible with her friends and runs back to be with him. And then her friends are like, go get them. They're cheering her on. And I was like, that is so great. So everyone has kind of matured. And he kind of helped break down the barrier between the nerds and the jocks. And they're supporting Cindy in her pursuit of going back out with Ronnie. I thought it was so cute. And so she jumps on his lawnmower with him. <laughs> And takes the cowboy hat he was wearing and puts it on. And then they show them like driving the lawnmower off into the sunset and kissing. And I thought it was so adorable. This movie is like definitely sweet. And it's a lighthearted comedy that is actually a lighthearted comedy. It was. And it had a lesson, like a good lesson that people actually mm -hmm. learned. It was very refreshing. Mm -hmm. like, no one was seriously objectified. Um, yeah. no one was seriously like I don't know injured <laughs> just the like normal bad things that we see in these movies none of that happened and they still managed to make a good movie wow mm -hmm. without having like naked girls or sexual violation in any way it's amazing the one thing that I did want to talk about is so whenever their time is up, when the contract is run out and like just before then, like you said, they've gone to the plane graveyard, they've looked at the moon and you can see that Cindy's really opening up to him and really realizing that she does like him and that he's a deep intellectual and emotional and sensitive person. And that could allow her to like let some of that of herself out too, instead of just being like superficial, known for cheerleading and that's it. So she's falling for him, but then he's like, there's something I really want to talk to you about. And she's like, yes. And so she thinks they're going to really get together. But then he's like, well, our contract is up and uh, we need to break this off. So how are we going to do it? So then she's crushed, but she pretends like she's not because she's just going along with the contract deal. So they say they're going to have a fight, but they don't really talk about the details of what the fight's going to be. And then when it happens, so she shows up at school the next day and she tells him like, okay, I guess I think we should go ahead and do our breakup now. But they hadn't worked out the details. And he goes way over the top with this fight. And it's in front of all their friends, their staged fight as the reason for the breakup. Um, I thought that on an unconscious level, he I, clearly he's still in love with Cindy. But he was also respecting the agreement that they had. In one way, like he was keeping this very clear boundary with her. He kept he kept everything exactly as he promised to keep it. 
uh, even though it was also like, hey, Ronnie, read the room. She's clearly into you. However, he doesn't, he's gone his whole life thinking he doesn't deserve anybody like Cindy. So how could he see when Cindy actually likes him? Because he thinks that he's fundamentally unlikable as he truly is being himself, that he's got to pretend to be this other guy to be likable. When he is telling Cindy that she's breaking his bank and that she's a kind of paints her out to be like this weird like teenage gold digger he's taking a basic truth that he paid her money and Mm -hmm. turning it against her i felt like it was really hostile yeah even though i think he didn't understand like i think he just thought like oh that was a good show underneath it it was really that because he's still operating from the idea that there's no way that she could be into me so there's some anger there i think and just by him thinking that he's not deserving of her it's a good way to like for him to save face i guess yeah that makes sense i know i thought it was extremely hostile it made me uncomfortable and i felt so bad for her and you can see her begging him like please you know tone it down this is undignified and you're actually being really hurtful. Mm-hmm. And I I was wondering that too. I was like, is he really that clueless to where he thinks he's just putting on a good show? Because some of those things were like really hitting home and like really personal and on the nose. And then I started thinking, can he really be that clueless? Or is he just using this as an opportunity to get out like all the resentment that he's had for the 17 years that he's been ignored and been like a nerd? Both. And channeling it all onto her. <sighs> yeah. And then he says, like, oh, if I were as mature as Bobby, I wouldn't call you either. Like, he's really (laughs) hurting her in front of all these people. And, uh, yeah, I felt like it was pretty malicious. And I have a hard time believing that he really didn't know what he was doing. Maybe it was subconscious, but it was just like, yeah. Maybe he didn't intend for it to be that vicious when he started Mm -hmm. out. And then it just came out of him like all the years of resentment towards the clique and everyone else and he just channeled it all onto cindy and used it as his opportunity to make her feel terrible and let outcast like he's felt all those years totally it was brutal though it was brutal <laughs> i don't know i would have trouble forgiving him after that <laughs> yeah i mean there's just a lot of things in this movie where i feel like i don't think i would trust him after his behavior and after he changed so quickly it's like his id just came out or something it's like the mask only uh in this 80s movie form it's like every terrible thing he's always wanted to do he's like now i can do it and just like shit all over my friends that have always been there for me yeah basically make other people feel the way that he's felt for years Like, Cindy was very popular and powerful, but she didn't ever seem to, like, make other people feel bad about themselves. She was in control of her power, and he didn't know how to use it yet. But also, the other thing that would make me, like, leery to trust him is the only reason he quit acting that way is because he got called out and no one would hang out with him. You know? It's not like... Then he learned a lesson after being, like, forced into it. Yeah. I don't know if I would trust Ronald, but I love the end, and I just want to believe that he did go back to normal in that. Yeah. I'd like to think that some of the jocks played played poker with them. That's beautiful. As well. I think they all started hanging out together. I like that ending. I also think that maybe Patrick Dempsey 
the actor who played Ronald, that he might have the Kavorka, like Kramer. Wait, what is that? It's like the the thing that's irresistible to women. Oh yeah, it's like the undef- undef- It's this undefinable thing that's irresistible <laughs> to women. Yeah, I think I saw the episode the other day where Kramer talks about that. Yeah, so that's what it's called, the Kavorka. Is that a real thing, or is that something Kramer yeah. made up? Uh, well, I don't know. It was in the context of the Greek Orthodox Church. Oh, right, right, so, right. I'm not really sure. I need to get out of this closet. Yeah. Are you cold in there too? Like normally you're wearing like a sundress and now you're wearing like a parka. I forgot to tell you my favorite quote from the movie. Oh, yes. When Ronnie has been or Ronald's been like rejected by everyone and then he goes to try to make up with his friend Kenneth at the video arcade. And then he's like, this has been hard for, do you know how hard this is for me too, Kenneth? And then Kenneth grabs him and slams him up against like the Pac-Man machine. And he's like, you shit on my house. And then again, he's like, you shit on my house. That was my favorite quote. <laughs> that, was my, that was my number two favorite oh, quote. <laughs> good one. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh my God. Nice. In this movie, the two girls, they both want Ronald. So they decide that they're going to share him. So I've never done that. I don't think you've ever done that. But so anyone out there, if you've ever shared a boyfriend or girlfriend or maybe just dated someone right after your friend broke up with them, let us know how that went. And you can email us at podcast at gmail.com. Perfect. Also, if you have ideas for other movies we should cover in the future, we'd love to hear those too. Thank you for listening to Cover Your Eyes podcast. If you like their show, please feel free to count the ways. Find us on patreon.com backslash cover your eyes. You can also visit our store on Redbubble at cover your eyes podcast. Are we going to say see you next Tuesday? (laughs) Okay, we could say bye y'all. See you next Tuesday. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Wait, I wrote Robert. His name's Ronald. Nobody Damn knows. it! Why can't nobody we ever get names? Nobody knows this kid's name. <laughs> <laughs>